Well, with me on stage today is Aaron Lapine and Jeremy Bolster. These are two of our elders, and they are, have a special announcement today. Thank you, Trish. Can we have uh, Pastor Dave and Pastor Rich, and if Jan is with us here, yep, come on up. Thank you. So uh, this is a bittersweet weekend for us. Uh, when Pastor Dave first came, he said, you will be really glad when I'm gone. And that's kind of true, but it is uh, a sweet time for us just because this marks the end of our transition and the beginning of our future. And it is uh, bitter for us because we are going to miss you guys as you now leave us and leave our congregation. And uh, we just want to take a moment here to appreciate them and thank them and bless them on whatever God has in store for them next. Um, one of the things that I have really appreciated, and I think the congregation as a whole has appreciated, is you guys have made this your church. You haven't referred to this as your place or the church. It's been our church. It's been our family. And we have so appreciated how you guys have integrated into the life, the love, the ministry uh, of Christ Community Church. So thank you guys very much for that. Um, Pastor Rich, we just want to say thank you for all of the excellent teaching that you have done. Um, last night, Adam referred to him as the wise owl. I'm not going to go there this morning. But I will just simply say uh, we really appreciate your gentle passion for the ministry, for uh, the things that you have taught us from the pulpit, and more so even for your work in our local uh, outreach ministry as well. Um, he has done a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes in working with that team, getting that ministry off the ground. Uh, our whole game day has been part of that ministry, and the things that you have, the, the, the foundation that you have laid there is something that will outlast many of us for uh, all the work that God can do in the kingdom through that. So thank you very much. And then uh, I also just want to take a moment and thank Jan as well for all the support that she has been. Um, not as prominent of a face uh, for all of us, but uh, without Jan, there's no way Dave could do what Dave does. And, um, you know, you see Dave here for two weeks, and he's gone for two weeks, and he's here for two weeks. That takes a toll. That's hard to do. And Jan, we just thank you so much for the support that you have provided for Dave and this church in allowing him to do that. Thank you very much. Then Pastor Dave, um, our very first interaction a cold, uh, wintry January night back in 2018. Uh, and at that time, uh, you really kind of helped step through for the board what this transition was going to look like. How were we going to be able to get from where we were to where we are now? Uh, your, your advice, your counsel, your guidance in all of that uh, has been uh, tremendous. And uh, our church is a better place for all that you guys have done. And we really appreciate that uh, and are grateful to that for you uh, and all that you've done there. Uh, I remember after the, um, the readout back in, I think it was August, the initial Vital Church readout, uh, one of the congregants, you know, I think stood up twice actually and said, you're hired. And little did we know, uh, here you are. 
And actually, I think later she now said, now she needs to say you're fired, but we won't go there either. Um, so, um, again, we're, we're just grateful for the path that you have helped put Christ Community Church on. Um, and one of the things that I have really appreciated, and I know many folks have, is just, you know, there's a little bit of the New York attitude of just calling it like you see it. And that clarity and that um, forthrightness uh, has been a blessing to us as well as we've traveled this journey and figured out, um, you know, where God is calling us and the things that God has called us to work on. And we are just very grateful for all of that. Um, and so, you know, we're going to miss some of the things. We're going to miss a little finger gun uh, here during the sermon, you know. So, uh, but we're uh, looking forward to all that is next as well. But also, um, just your prayer, your pursuit of making uh, Christ Community Church a more prayerful place and putting more of that into all of our ministries uh, and your just unfailing push of relying on God's grace and uh, the impact that that has had. So we are, um, again, it's bittersweet. We are so grateful for all that you've done and we're sad to see you go. So thank you guys very much. Um, after the service here, Rich and Dave will be out uh, in the lobby area and we encourage each of you to go up and uh, shake hands and say your thanks. There's a place there if you want to write a little uh, note card. There's some paper out there. You can do that. There's also a picture frame out there. Everyone is welcome to try to find a spot to put your signature and put your name on that picture frame as well. That will be going home with Dave also. So with that, Aaron, would you leave us yeah. Would everybody go ahead and stand up? Okay, let's pray. Good Father in heaven, um, we are continuously thankful for all the blessings that you've given us in our church, but uh, today in particular, um, we're thankful for, for Dave, we're thankful for Rich, we're thankful for Jan. Um, we're thankful that you've developed within them uh, the kind of energy and passion and conviction that's required to come to a church like ours and it's time when it's most uncertain and unstable and um, when they really don't know anyone and to make the sacrifices that they've made on our behalf, God, we are so thankful. Um, we're thankful also for uh, your grace and your faithfulness to us as a congregation. Uh, we praise you for your, for your providence and for your um, unsearchable wisdom and knowledge and what you've orchestrated here over the past couple years, we could have never predicted or directed, and we give you all the glory for that. God, we recognize that today is a sad day, um, that we are um, saying goodbye to dear friends um, and, and people that have pastored us and led us and, and developed us spiritually, um, but we also rejoice. We rejoice because of the victory that you've had in this church. We rejoice because of um, the obedience that... Uh, um, Dave and Rich and Jan have shown um, re rejoice in the reward that they will receive in heaven, that the reward that they will receive on earth, one of rest and recuperation. And God, we pray and, and recognize that um, they can rest in the satisfaction of a job well done. Um, God, we love you. Um, we just pray um, that today will be a day of celebration and that, uh, they, that we as a church will remain faithful and that what has started here will continue on and can be into completion. 
Um, God, we love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's give uh, these fine folks a round of applause. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I love this uh, church. I love the community. Honestly, grew up in uh, Rochester, Michigan. And uh, so this is the first assignment that I've had that's actually been in the Midwest. Some people are bipolar. I'm bicoastal, you know, East Coast, West Coast. So to be here, it actually is, uh, it's been quite a delight. I want to uh, encourage you to open your Bibles now. Psalm 62. Psalm 62, that's page 572 in the Bibles that are in front of you, on the, you know, in front of the chairs there. So 572, Psalm 62. Now, if you don't have a, a Bible, you want to get it up on your app, you can do that. Or if you don't want to put it on the app or the Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen as well. So we've got the bases covered. Psalm 62. Now, I, uh, I recently received a letter from a friend of mine telling me that he had had a lymphatic drain. A lymphatic drain. And for those of us who are not medical types like me, you know, you're not with Olmstead Medical Center or Mayo or whatnot, that sounded a little scary, but actually, it's just a technical term for a sophisticated back rub. And now you literally lay there while they rub the impurities out of your back. And he noted that the result was this ongoing a deep sense of rest that followed him the rest of the week. You know, and, I, and I say, tie me to the gurney. If that's a, if that's a lymphatic drain, you know, I'm going to be going to Hawaii seven days and 18 hours from now. Not that I'm counting. And you know, I'm going to have a lymphatic drain. Our friends that we're staying with actually is masseuse, and so I think I'm going to take her up on that. But now, today, we're going to look at Psalm 62, and Psalm 62 is about rest rest and how we obtain it in even the most difficult of life's circumstances. Now this, this whole psalm is written during a, day, a very difficult time of upheaval in David's life. We don't know the exact circumstances regarding it, but we do know that uh, at that point in time he had every reason to not feel rested. He's full of anxiety, uh, very difficult time. Uh, he's involved personal attacks, deceit, duplicitous motives by others. He felt weak and needy, overwhelmed, incredibly vulnerable. He describes himself in verse 3 as a leaning wall, a tottering fence. And yet he writes, as he writes, and you can see this particularly in the Hebrew, as he writes, because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, as he writes, he is moving throughout the psalm towards a place of rest. Throughout the psalm, he's moving in that direction. And in fact, uh, that rest actually shapes him, molds him, and motivates him to call attention to it in this song. In fact, one of the more interesting things about Psalm 62 is that there is no closure whatsoever to the situation that he finds himself in, and yet he says, I find my rest in God alone. He alone is my hope and my salvation. And he invites us, verse 8, 
to see or experience the same. So open your Bibles to Psalm 62 if you haven't. I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Hebrew Scriptures. And I'm going to, add, I'm going to insert some things in different places just to help you understand really the full impact of the text as it's, as it's written in, in the, the language, the, the original language. So Psalm 62, hear the word of the Lord. Truly, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be greatly shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They took delight in lies, and with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul finds rest in God alone. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my fortress, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath, a vapor. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods, though your riches increase. Do not set your hearts on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I don't think I have to say uh, to this audience, I don't need to say this here, particularly in this audience, in our modern culture, we don't get a lot of rest. We don't get a lot of rest, uh, especially if you have kids. Uh, you know, you got and elementary kids. I mean, you got hockey, soccer, and track practice all before six o'clock a.m. And then you got school. And you know, years ago, I ran across an article in the Washington Post entitled "America Needs a Vacation." And the article noted that the pace of life and the amount of life that Americans are doing—it's killing us, literally killing us. In fact, one writer suggested that work, work might be our national religion. You ask somebody how they're doing, you know what they're going to say typically? Busy, tired, just want to get off the treadmill. But they can't. I can't. We can't. A recent book written by Alex Payne, he's a visiting scholar at Stanford University, entitled Rest, Alex Payne, the book Rest, uh, Pang suggests that our culture does not operate, period, from a place of rest, and yet he notes that when we live our lives from a place of rest, that we are most productive in our life and our work. Alex Pang. Now, best I can tell, Alex Pang is not a Christian. But what he writes about and the focus on rest that he offers in that book literally validates 
much of this psalm. Alex Ping. Now, several years ago, I heard someone speak on this text, and they asked three questions of it. I don't remember who it was. You know, I don't even remember what they said, but the three questions I remember. So I'm going to ask the same questions and build this message around this. And so there are three things I want to say or, or, or look at today in this text. We're going to see what rest is, where we normally go to get it, and what we can actually go or what we actually do to find it. What it is, where we typically go to, to get it, and where we have to go to actually find it. So first, out of Psalm 62, what is rest? Rest is a fundamental longing of the human heart. We long to be in a place of rest, a place of peace. In fact, it's a, pun a fundamental need of our human life uh, to be in a place of rest. When you fail to rest, when I fail to rest, we accelerate our aging. It can lead to depression, weight gain, chronic fatigue, and a whole host of other things. And in this text, rest actually has a spectrum of meanings. It's everything from silent stillness to serenity in the midst of absolute chaos. It's everything from being in a place of holy inactivity because everything that's been, that needs to be said has been said and everything that needs to be done has been done and so you're just sitting silent before God. It's everything from that to a place of non, a non-anxious presence in the middle of life's most anxious moments. Rest. Rest. Fundamental longing of the human heart. Now the term is used, for example, in Psalm 37, 7. Be still. There it is. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. So ultimately, in this psalm, rest isn't just inactivity, though it can be that, but it's activity from a place of rest. It's working from a place of rest, not just resting from our work. And he's talking about this kind of rest while having a series of conversations throughout the psalm. So for example, in verses 1 to 2, he talks to himself and says, I find my rest in God alone. He alone is my hope and salvation. He speaks to himself. Then in verses 3 to 4, he has another conversation, this time with his enemies, the people who are creating the problem to begin with. Then back in verses 5 to 7, he talks to himself again as if to remind himself that he finds his rest in God alone. Then he invites verses 8 to 10, the congregation speaks to the congregation and invites them into this place of rest. And then verses 11 to 12, he actually talks to God about it. And here's the most interesting thing. At each point in the dialogue, he grows increasingly strong in his capacity to rest. At each point in the dialogue along this psalm, he, he grows increasingly strong in his ability to find his rest in God alone. Now, I don't need to tell you that this kind of rest is not the American way. In fact, this is not the Christian way. David Zolin is, does a great job of unpacking this in, a, in a, an excellent little book called Seculosity. And in that book, he tells us, he says, in America, 
busyness has become a status symbol. We are activists on our own behalf. In fact, it used to be, some scholars will tell you, that the well-bred and well-to-do live lives of leisure. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's a status symbol to be busy. And we live our lives at an incredibly fast pace, and it's exhausting. We're get-or-done kind of people, and to be truthful with you, I'm a get-or-done kind of guy, personally. And yet David here has the audacity to call me and you to a place of quiet rest, a place at one level of holy inactivity. Be still, he says. I find my rest in God alone. He alone is my hope and my salvation. I will not be moved. Now, by way of clarification here, David is not saying, don't do what it takes, you know, what makes common sense to solve a problem. He's not saying that at all, as if inactivity is synonymous with holiness. He's not saying that. Over and over again in the scriptures, the Old Testament, we see David taking action when facing with danger, for, faced with danger. So, for example, 1 Samuel 23. Saul and the army are chasing David. Saul and his army is on one side of the mountain chasing David. David and his men on the other side of the mountain going in the opposite way, running from Saul. So David is not saying, don't do what makes common sense. What he is saying, however, is that in the middle of the most traumatic of life's experiences, there is a quiet place of rest. And we need that kind of rest. We were created to experience that kind of rest. And then God is inviting us into that kind of rest. And in the middle of it, God himself meets us, and he shapes us, and he protects us. He protects us in ways we cannot even imagine. So for example, you're having marriage difficulty. You've gone and seen a counselor, but it's not, you know, working too well. And you're tempted to just harass your spouse, work yourself into an angry frenzy, but you remember Psalm 62. So instead, instead you just sit back and you wait, because God's got this. And sometimes you wait for a long, long time. Or maybe, for example, you've seen an injustice done. And you've taken measures to correct it, but after a while, you have to ultimately stop and wait before the Lord, you know, in the matter, realizing that while you can try, you can't correct every injustice, but God can and ultimately will. So you remember Psalm 62, and you wait. You're at rest. Or maybe there's something not right with you physically. You go to a physician, and it's not good news. But it's out of your hands. And you remember, God's in the throne, Psalm 62. And you sit silent and wait, a place of rest. Or maybe you've lost your job, and you got your resumes out. And you've basically, you know, hit every avenue possible to get a new job. You're getting no bites. And you're beginning to get anxious because you know the bills are piling up. But you remember, Psalm 62, I find my rest in God alone. He alone is my hope and my salvation. So you sit and you wait, and you rest. And it's in those times of silent repose 
those times of holy inactivity that God meets us and becomes, as David puts it, the rock, the fortress, our salvation, our deliverer. It is a place of rest. So here's the question. Are you experiencing that kind of rest? Is your life garnished by that kind of rest? Because rest is a fundamental need, the fundamental longing of the human heart. That's what it is. So, where do we normally go to get it? Well, David tells us, verses 9 to 10, he says that we seek rest in places that actually keep us tired. We seek rest, you know, in places that actually keep us tired. David finds his rest in God alone, verses 1 and 5. In fact, he says God alone is his hope. God alone is his salvation. And then he uses a series of metaphors to clarify what he means by that. God's our refuge. God's our rock. God's our fortress. God's our deliverer. And salvation here means that we are in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others, with creation, and ultimately with ourselves. And when we have that kind of salvation, God's salvation, it allows us to live life from a posture of rest. And this is David's invitation. And yet there's something in us, and this, we all do this, there's something in us that tells us that God won't be for us a place of rest. He's not enough. He's not going to come through. He's going to let us down. We've got this little thing shattering in our minds. He's, it's not going to work. So we look for rest in, in, in other places, and David unpacks two of the many places that we go to. The first one, he says, verse 9, is fame. We seek ref, fame, rest in our fame. Verse 9, low-born men are but a breath, high-born men but a lie. If weighed upon a balance, they are nothing. They are vapor. There is a sense that if, in our minds, that if we achieve some kind of status, some kind of recognition, some kind of achievement or success, or fame, if we become the next American idol, we'll be at peace. And David says, no, that doesn't work. Because ultimately, success and achievement end in virtually the same way. We die. We're but a vapor. You can be the most successful person on the face of the earth, and you're going to pass away. And you can't take it with you. In 1996, my dad died from leukemia. He had just turned 70, uh, and just months before his 70th birthday, uh, really just months before he passed away, I had you know, my final conversation with him. Uh, he and I were driving back from a hospital where I think he'd got a blood transfusion. I can't even remember what it was, leukemia. And he begins to talk to me, and he said, you know, barring a miracle... We're going to have a funeral in a few months. And he said, when that happens, I want you to take a can of aerosol spray and spray it over my coffin and tell people, this is your life. And then he paused and he said, and I'm 69, he said, I'm 69. And you're 39. And let me tell you, 30 years is nothing. 
Now that was 23 years ago. And I am now 63. Seven years short of the 70 years that my dad lived. And let me tell you something. He's right. 30 years is nothing. And what David is telling us is that prestige, status, achievement, reputation, fame, none of it. None of it gives you real rest. None of it. So fame, first thing. Second of all, David says fortune. The second thing he mentions is fortune, wealth, money, material goods, finance, fortune. Verse 10, do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. So we think if we have enough money, things will be fine, right? In fact, that belief system can move us into unethical behavior, says David, that will shatter our lives and rob us of rest. Money and wealth doesn't give us rest either. Now, most of us are familiar with the actor Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, I love his work, by the way. He's done some great work. In the spring of 2019, he did an interview with GQ.com, and he openly wondered, Keanu Reeves, he openly wondered if he could ever come in his life to a place of rest. If there was ever a time where he could take his foot off the gas pedal and not work. Now here's a guy who's made $350 million over the course of his career. He's got fame. He's got fortune. And yet he wonders. He is not at a place of rest. In the article, he noted that in 19... 1995, or roughly thereabouts, he had a conversation with the famous director, Anthony Quinn. Most, many of us are probably familiar with him, Anthony Quinn. And he asked Anthony Quinn, who was about 80 at the time, he asked him if there was ever a time when you just stopped and were satisfied. And you know what Quinn said? Never. Never. And David's point here is that fame and fortune never give us what we actually desire. Why? Because in each of these situations, we are seeking our rest from a place that was never intended to give it. In short, when we are doing this, we are seeking something or someone or some way to save us. To save us and give us rest. And David's point that if you seek your salvation and your rest in your friends, if you seek your salvation and rest in your family, if you seek your salvation and rest in your education or your wealth, you're seeking your salvation and rest in something that ultimately can't save you or give you rest. Because what happens if it breaks down? What happens, for example, if your salvation and rest is in receiving love from your family? You want your husband or your wife or your parents to fulfill your love bucket. But they can't. Worse yet, they don't. What happens then? What happens if you're seeking your rest and your salvation from money and, and the stock market crashes like it did this week? What happens then? What happens if you're putting your rest in a political party or a politician and they lose their salvation, or, or excuse me, they lose the election? What happens then? If your peace of mind, if your well-being, if your sense of stability, if your salvation and your rest is anchored in anything less than God alone, says David, you will not live life from a place of rest. No, in fact, you will be full of anxiety, 
and fear. Luke Ferry is a philosopher, wrote a book entitled A Brief History of Thought. And in that book he notes that all throughout human history, people have sought some kind of salvation. Some kind of place where they can anchor and be at rest. And he notes that in the modern world, that has been capitalism, patriotism, and at one point even communism. And yet, as he notes in, each of, in his book, in each of these worldviews, they fall short, woefully short, in fact, in the face of death. According to Luke Ferry, the best option for your salvation, for your rest, is Christianity. Provided you actually believe it, which he doesn't. He's an atheist. And yet he acknowledges, recognizes, that Christianity offers a place of rest. So here's a question for you. What are you seeking your rest in? Success, fame, fortune, a good marriage. You're going to seek it in something because everybody does. For me personally, it's my sense of achievement, being in control, getting things done, and being liked to the point of obsessing over it. It is not a place of rest, and it doesn't lead to rest. So what is rest? fundamental longing of the human heart. Where do we look for it typically? In places that just make us more tired. So the real question from the text is this. Where do we find this place of rest? Really, where do we find it? Well, David tells us actually throughout the whole psalm, he starts it off like this. We find our rest in God alone. In fact, I'm going to suggest that what this whole psalm does it points us to Jesus Christ. We find our rest in Christ alone. Look at verse 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, two things that I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O God, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. It is in reminding himself over and over and over again that David comes to a place of rest. He reminds himself, he goes back to the gospel over and over and over again. And it is in reminding himself that he comes to that place of rest. Remember the context of the psalm. David is incredibly weak. He's under attack. But God, verse 11, is strong. His enemies hate him and seek his demise. But God loves him verse 11 and 12, and promises a reward. David is irritated by the injustice of it all, but God is just and will eventually bring every person to account. David has a big problem, but he has a bigger God. And he reminds himself of this over and over again, and that is where he finds his rest. And that is where he puts his confidence not in his fame, not in his fortune, not in politicians, but in God himself. Like the confidence we put in an expert carpenter to build our home, like the confidence we put in, in the U.S. mail to, to deliver our mail, the U.S. Postal Service to deliver our mail, like the confidence that we put in an excellent mechanic to take care of your car, David puts his confidence and hope and rest in God alone. And he comes through. Every time. 
But I mean, how do we know this? I mean, you see it in the Bible, you read it, but you've got to say, you know, like, how do I know this? Because David's life is tragic. How do you know that God's going to come through? How do you know that he's going to be a place of rest for you? When you're facing life's traumas and tragedies, how do you know? The gospel. The gospel, that's how you know. Jesus himself says, you come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Matthew 11:28. On the cross, we see the power of God to fully end all injustice and evil. Jesus takes our sin on himself so that we can become his righteousness. On the cross, Jesus, the creator of the universe, becomes weak so that we could experience his strength. And the work of Christ on the cross shows the depth of God's love for us, the degree to which God will go to bring us to a place of rest. In Jesus Christ, we see God's power, God's love, and God's justice intersect in a person, not in a teaching, not in a philosophy, not even in a set of rules or standards, rights or wrongs primarily, but in a person. And when we turn from our sin and we put our faith in Christ alone, his work on our behalf, we can be at rest even in the most trying of times. And it's in reminding ourselves of that over and over and over again that we come to that place of rest. So the question is, what practices can we build into our lives to remind ourselves of this truth? What practices can we build into our lives to remind ourselves of the truth that God alone is our hope and our salvation? He alone is a place of rest. What practices? There are dozens. I'm going to suggest three that are, are uh, very prominent for us today. Three practices to remind us that God himself, we find our rest in God alone. Number one, practice Sabbath rest. Practice Sabbath rest. Rest. Now, this practice of taking 24-hour period of time to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate God's wonder, God's creation, and God's goodness, that practice has changed my life. Now, you might say, i got little kids. It's not going to 24 hours. Are you kidding me? Take 12. 12 is too much. Take 6. But set aside some time in your calendar to practice Sabbath rest. It is the sanctified wasting of time. It's not a day off to get more done. It's a day off to enjoy God and His creation. Sabbath reminds us that God, not you, is in control of the universe. Sabbath, says John Comer, is like a governor on the speed of life. Practice Sabbath rest. Number two, manage technology. Manage technology. Now, I've read that the average handheld user touches their device 2,617 times every day. Every day. And some of you are touching it right now to check out that statistic. Stop it. Stop it. What would happen if we reminded ourselves of God that many times in a day. What would happen? We are addicted to our handheld phones. We are slaves to technology. On Friday, Jan and I watched some man 
over here in your community nearly be hit by a car because he had his phone like this. And he nearly got hit and never realized it because the phone was like this. Managed technology. Andrew Sullivan, 2016 article, New York Magazine, entitled, I Used to Be a Human Being. Yes. Laments this fact and makes a really good case for limiting its influence. We'll be more likely to find our rest in God alone when we face our, free ourselves from the slave master of technology. And then third, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I have been reading a book by that very title by a guy named Mark Comer. And he makes the case that hurry, not rest, has bastardized our walk with God, made it less than what it actually is, and given us a false sense of success, even in Christian ministry. And I personally agree with him. Famous author Cory Temdun, the World War II era concentration camp victim, once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Fifth century pastor, bishop, philosopher, theologian, Augustine, St. Augustine once noted, our, our hearts are restless until they find, we find our rest in you. What is rest? The fundamental need of the human soul. Where do we typically look for it? In places that make us more tired. Where do you find it? Christ alone. Christ alone. His work on our behalf. So what is God saying to you? today.